Let me invite you to turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 21 tonight. As we continue our study in the pilgrimage of Abraham, we arrive at Genesis 21 beginning at verse 22. If you weren't here the last couple of weeks, I uh, want to publicly thank Dr. Bruce for preaching for me and giving me uh, rest. And I want to highly uh, recommend his sermons to you on chapters 20 and the first half of 21. And you can find those online at our website. In those two chapters thus far, we see that God takes care of his people in spite of themselves. In chapter 20, you remember God rescued Sarah from Abimelech after Abraham wickedly prostituted her for his own safety. And in that story, God rescued Abraham from any potential retaliation by Abimelech in the moment. And God also rescued Abimelech by giving him a way of escape from God's judgment on him through personal repentance for taking another man's wife though he was kept from her and through the prayers of Abraham on his behalf God's mediator to heal him now in chapter 21 God provided the long awaited the long hoped for promised son Isaac the child of promise and God took care of him as we have seen God rescued him from the persecution of Ishmael. In all of this, God shows himself faithful to his promises. He had promised to be Abraham's shield, and he was. And tonight we see more of his protection for his people, and we'll consider his protection as well of us. Let me invite you to give your attention to Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 through 34 hear now the authoritative word of god at that time abimelech and phicol the commander of his army said to abraham god is with you in all that you do now therefore swear to me here by god that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, Because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord. 
the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Amen. This is God's word. May he write it on our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, uh, we pray that you would richly bless your word to us tonight. Speak to our hearts. Comfort us with your promise and grace even to us through Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, let me intro uh, by speaking of context, and then we'll get to the content of the story in just a few moments. By way of context, notice the parallels and contrasts of the two stories of chapter 21. Now, you'll have to pick up or look back at the whole of 21 to see these. But last week we saw that there had been an internal family threat to the safety of the promised child God had given to them. Within his own house, Ishmael persecuted, the New Testament says, Isaac. He was a danger to Isaac. And God had given Abraham the difficult task of sending Ishmael on his way. You can imagine how worn out by that Abraham must have been. He loved Ishmael and how distressed by it. Yet that was God's way of preserving the promised seed, Isaac, and keeping him safe. Now, in our story, God gives Abraham relief, relief from external threats to the safety of Isaac. He gives him relief from the fear of the local king and his military. And in fact, more than that, he gives him friendship with that king. And in doing so, God gives Abraham safety and security in the land as he raises Isaac. So there's this implied contrast. Ishmael makes his stand as an enemy of Isaac while this pagan king Abimelech says to Abraham, let's be friends and let's have our children be friends. So that you've got a young man, a descendant of Abraham by the flesh, Ishmael, who is nothing without Abraham, arrogantly mocking and scorning God's blessing to Abraham, while this pagan man who has all the power and all the might and all the women a king could want, he humbly seeks to share in God's blessings to Abraham. It's a startling contrast. And then there is a parallel as well, one more thing, in God's provision for them. God shows a well to the persecutor Ishmael when he's about to die in the wilderness. And here God secures a well for the patriarch that he might live in peace. So God is good to both. As Jesus said of the Father, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Or we might say he provides a well for both. So there's some parallel and context. Now the content of the chapter before us. And I want to highlight three things. Basically, you see the different dynamics of the relationships. In verses 22 to 24, you see Abimelech's relationship to Abraham. The relationship he seeks. What does he seek? He seeks kindness, he says. Then in 24 to 32, you see Abraham's response to Abimelech. And what does he do? He establishes with him A covenant. And then in 32 to 34 at the end, you see Abraham's response to the Lord. His relationship to the Lord as he calls upon the Lord to give thanks 
in worship. And so I want you to think about those three things and those relationships. In the first place, Abimelech's relationship or desired relationship with Abraham in verses 22 to 24. As another said it, a pagan king perceives God's blessings and he proposes an alliance with God's man. Now we don't know when. But at some point, Abraham has moved from Gerar about 25 miles south to what is eventually called Beersheba. But you get the impression that Abimelech is the the king and has military command over this great region. And so, as you can imagine, with Abraham being a large family, remember he had hundreds of trained men serving as warriors for him. He had had, uh, undoubtedly dozens and dozens of shepherds and and, uh, and too many animals to count, and they all needed places to eat and to drink. And then you've got a king who rules in that area, who's got a large realm. You can imagine there would have been all kinds of potential conflicts over pasturing rights and over rights to well water supplies in a wilderness area where those things were not a dime a dozen. And so how are they going to coexist peacefully? Abimelech wants that. And so he comes, verse 22, to Abraham, and he says to him, with his military commander standing there, God is with you, he says to him, in all that you do. He says, I know this. I've seen this. And because of this, I want you to be my friend. I've been, it's, he, we might say, he, I, I've been watching you these last four or five years. After all, Isaac now has grown to three. It's been some time since that little episode with Sarah when God had cursed Abimelech's family because Abimelech had taken Sarah. But God had appeared to him in a dream. And God had told him, Abraham is my prophet. Abraham is my spokesman. Sarah is his wife. You have got to let her go or you and your family and your people will remain barren. And so he repents and he restores Sarah. And God says, and Abraham will pray for you. Abraham will mediate for you and you will be healed. And Abraham did that. And Abimelech and his nation were. Don't you think he started paying careful attention to this guy, Abraham? He knew the Lord was with him and the Lord was giving him success despite Abraham's stupidity and cowardice and and failures of faith and devotion to his own wife. Abimelech is astounded, undoubtedly. What kind of God is this who remains faithful to him? I want to have that kind of faithful relationship too. And so he comes to him, verse 23, and he says, swear to me. Swear what? One, that you won't deal falsely with me. Now this is pretty straightforward, but of course, Abraham had proved himself a liar just a half a decade prior and a coward in prostituting Sarah for his own safety. He wants now peace with this Abraham, but he says, now don't deal falsely with me when we establish this peace. And more than that, he wants friendship. Friendship, not just between me and you, but between my sons and your son Isaac and our descendants after them. Abimelech seems to know that this tribe of Abraham is going to thrive and grow and it's important to God. And he wants to be on the right side and not the wrong side of those whom God has blessed and determined to bless. He's proved God true that those who bless Abraham will be blessed. 
and those who curse Abraham will be cursed. And so he says, show me your kindness. And so the king negotiates with Abraham. But in effect, he's negotiating with the Lord God, the one true living God's mediator and representative on the earth. And what does he ask for? Pointedly, he asks for kindness. And this is a technical word, which is often translated loving kindness or covenant love or covenant love and mercy in the Bible. It's the word chesed, and it speaks to uh, loyalty, undivided loyalty in relationship. There's a wonderful example of the use of this word elsewhere in the Bible. And let me just point you to that in 1 Samuel chapter 20. There's a covenant love expressed between Jonathan and David. If you were to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning at verse 13, you'll see this. Now you have to remember that this is a point where David has become crosswise with Saul. Saul is Jonathan's father. Saul is the king. David is the coming future king. And Jonathan presumably is actually the the rightful physical descendant and heir to the throne. But Saul hates David, is jealous of David. David is fearful of him. David's life is in danger. And Jonathan's son Saul, who loves David, comes to him. And in verse 13 we read this, But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan. And more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So Jonathan's saying, David, I'm ready to risk my life to make sure you are spared my father's wrath. And then at verse 14, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. In other words, Jonathan says to David, look, if I survive this, show me the loving kindness of the Lord. Spare me if I help you on the way. And then at verse 15, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of his enemies from of David from the face of the earth. So he's looking ahead not only to his own relationship with David, but to his own children's relationship. Don't wipe us out, David. I love you. And in verse 16, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now that is a a beautiful and sweet picture of, of incredible friendship between two men, Jonathan and David. But did you also notice how the word loving kindness appears there? That he would, that he would respond to David and John, to Jonathan with unswerving loyalty, steadfast mercy, faithfulness. That he would be a friend to him and protect him in danger. That's what Abimelech wants from Abraham. This kind of covenant care. Abraham, don't rebel against me. Abraham, don't fight against me. Let's be in league together. Let's stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And so looking at the story in Genesis 21, I can't help but wonder if Abimelech hadn't 
actually tasted the saving grace of God. Now, I can't prove it for sure. But I wonder, have his eyes been opened? He perceived that the one true God was with Abraham. He'd been told by that God, Abraham is my prophet, my mediator. He'd experienced blessing by the prayers of that Abraham. And now he wants to be in a tight relationship with this Abraham and with his God. And verse 24, back in Genesis 21, how does Abraham respond? He says, I will swear. I will live at peace with you. I will hold no ill will toward you. I will show you kindness. And so he fulfills God's purpose given in Genesis 12 that God would bless him that he might be a blessing to the nations. And that is the posture Christians should have toward a world that does not know God and even a world that does not care about God. As the children of Abraham that we are through faith in Christ, Abraham's great seed, as heirs of the promises to Abraham, we ought to be known We ought to desire to be known. We ought to grow in loving kindness, steadfast love and loyalty, and a readiness to express it in relationship with people. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. But it's more than that, friends. We are called and commanded to love our enemies, just as Jesus loved the ungodly, And gave his life to reconcile God's enemies to God that they might be his forever friends. So likewise, that ought to be our posture to others. Now, the second thing I want you to see is this in verses 25 to 32. Abraham's response to Abimelech is to say yes, and then he establishes a covenant with him. Verse 25 Abraham begins that by actually reproving Abimelech, seeking justice about a well. Abraham's servants had dug a well, but Abimelech's servants had seized it. And Abraham appeals to him, you want steadfast love in this relationship? We're going to bind ourselves to one another. There's something we need to talk about. And we need to get right between us. A well. Matthew Henry, an old Puritan 1500s remarks, wells of water, it seems, were choice goods in that country. Thanks be to God that they are not so scarce in ours. But a well of water would have been extremely important for a shepherd. And so he appeals to this king for justice that they might live in peace. Do you remember when Paul... The New Testament was, was cruelly whipped by the magistrates of Philippi for preaching the gospel. Though there had been no trial against him, there had been no proof that he had done anything criminal. And then they lock him up in stocks overnight in a dungeon in the jail. This is Acts chapter 16. It says this at verse 35 and following, but when it, was, when it was the day, in other words the following morning, the magistrates sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, 
They have beaten us publicly. Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and they asked them to leave the city. And so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now what's going on there? Paul isn't being huffy. Paul isn't uh, personally irritated and his pride isn't hurt. He's just trying to make things really difficult for these governors in this place where he lives. He did it for the sake of the church at Philippi. He did it so the church would continue to have freedom of assembly and freedom to propagate the gospel freely in their community. Sometimes you have to appeal to the authorities over you to do what is right for the sake of the people and for the sake of the gospel. And Abraham makes use of that right. And Christians likewise are right to make use of that right for the church and our descendants freedom. Abraham needed a well of water for his family and that the chosen seed Isaac could live and so he appealed for it in this covenant in verse 27 uh, they make a covenant they cut a covenant he brings sheep and oxen for the covenant perhaps the lord had taught him in genesis 15 how to cut a covenant well of course he had taught him how to cut a covenant bring the animals cut the animals in half lay them side by side somebody go through the pieces and say if i fail this covenant may it be done to me what was done to these animals and abraham picking up on that cuts a covenant here with abimelech And basically, uh, they promised one another they will be friends. Abimelech is also given a gift of seven ewe lambs, seven young female lambs. That was a generous token of Abraham's friendship. And it was a symbol of his righteousness about the well. He's not lying about the well. But now he's going to compensate Abimelech for a well that he himself built. He's going to buy that which he already built. What's going on here? As the Lord God's representative on the earth, he could afford to go out of his way to be generous, so like his God to him, giving Abimelech gifts he does not deserve. I want to say that the way we treat others is so often a reflection of how we think God treats us. Do you cheat other people? Maybe you think God cheats you, that he holds out on you. So then, of course, you need to look out for yourself because nobody else is looking out for you, even at the expense of others. But when we are content with God's provision for us, when we don't then we don't, or when we don't covet what others have because we're resting in God's generosity to us, His goodness to us, then we don't feel like we need to steal from others. In fact, when we see that God has been generous to us, giving to us at cost to Himself, then we can give to others at cost to ourselves. Abraham paid for what already belonged to him. And paid the debt of Abimelech just to secure what already belonged to him. 
just as God had promised He would pay for the debt of Abraham to secure Abraham to Himself. The Gospel had seeped into His bones and so He could live out the Gospel in His relationship with another. Abraham, after all, knew that the Gospel promises was that one day it would all be His. Now that didn't lead him to mock and scorn the authority of the current local leaders of Beersheba, but rather to honor them. He lost nothing by acknowledging them. He lost nothing by submitting to them. He was a sojourner and they were in charge. And he lost nothing by being generous to them. He's going to get it all back in the new heavens and new earth. And then some. Now, I want to ask the question, how should Christians, the sons of Abraham today, relate to civil servants and people in political and military power today? I think there's an example here. Now, I don't think Abraham's example applies directly. I'm not saying you should go out and offer gifts to those in positions of power, that might be considered bribery on your part, and they might be considered bribery for them to take it. Don't do that. I don't think that's the example we draw. But the New Testament does command Christians at least three or four things. Number one, show respect. Romans, or, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the emperor. Well, we live in a nation without an emperor. But no less ought we show respect. Number two, pay your taxes. Romans chapter 13 verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Number three, pray for them. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. I urge, the Apostle Paul says, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions. Why? Three reasons. One, for the sake of the church. He goes on to say that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Civil governors can establish by God's grace a society in which that is true. Number two, because God likes it. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Number three, for their blessing. Verse four, who desires, speaking of God, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray for all kinds of people. Pray specifically for kings and people in positions of authority. Pray for police officers and police chiefs. Pray for, pray for mayors and governors in a day of crazy national turmoil and violence and, and terrorism. Pray for these people. For the well-being of the church. Because it pleases God. And because God desires all kinds of people, even kings Governors, military authorities, and police officers to be saved. Pray. And four, promote peace, especially when all around you call for hatred. Romans 12, 18 to 21. If possible, Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. 
but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will reap or uh, heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is how we are to live. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, amidst the kingdoms of this world, as the people of God, aiming to live at peace with others, because we know that God has made peace with us through the blood of his cross at cost to himself. Now that's the second thing. The third is shorter, verses 32 to 34. Abraham's relationship to God. He commemorates the covenant. He calls upon God in public worship. He commemorates the event by by naming the place Beersheba. That's a play on words. It can mean well of oath or well of seven. Oath and seven, they're uh, similar words. It may be a pun on that. It forms the southern boundary for Israel, so that in later days in the time of the monarchy, you could speak of Israel as being from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. And he plants a tamarisk tree to commemorate the event. He didn't plant a tree in Sodom for judgment will take it away, but he plants a tree in Beersheba because God's blessing is on him there. And he calls upon Yahweh. He knows his security is not in government officials. He knows his security is not ultimately into the commander of the army of Abimelech. He knows the provision of the well is from God. He knows peace with this man is from God. And so he gives thanks to God. He lives out the truth of Psalm 146 when it says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. This is the God he places his confidence, not confidence in an earthly king. And he didn't depart from his trust in the everlasting king and i know that i and many of my politically despairing friends need to do just that as well and he calls god here in worship by a particular name el olam yahweh el olam the god of the covenant who binds himself to his people that's yahweh and el olam the everlasting god Jim Boyce says times change and people change and needs change, but God never changes. And Abraham recognizes that God reaching back into the past and forward into the future is the always and forever God. And he worships the one who holds his future and all his fortunes and the fortunes of his son Isaac and the fortunes of his posterity in his hand. Though he may be a sojourner, simply passing through, living in tents, living like a nomad, living like an alien and a stranger in a world that is not his ultimate home as he waits for a better country, 
with that fleeting life, he worships God, who is the only hope, the one who is God to us forever, the God who takes care of his people. May we do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do care for your people. You preserve your people, that you rescue us from all our foes, that you take us safely in before your very face in heaven. You promise us the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you that Jesus said no one can snatch us out of his hand. I pray that you would calm our anxious fears, help us to cast ourselves upon you, and grant that we would be ambassadors to other, others of the peace of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand and we'll approach the Lord's table and participate.